This is Crossroads, the Get Religion podcast. Since Southern Baptists have always allowed disagreement on doctrines, of, including the essential doctrines of salvation, why should this one issue cancel our fellowship? In 2013, when the Calvinists were under fire, Baptists agreed to disagree and the split was averted. Now, 10 years later, will we treat egalitarian Baptists with the same grace we showed the Calvinist? It's a matter of biblical commitment, a commitment to the Scripture that unequivocally, we believe, limits the office of pastor to men. It is an issue of biblical authority. It is one that has actually led to the unity of the Southern Baptist Convention as Southern Baptists have gone forward with an issue of clarity here, which has greatly made our doctrine and order a matter of unity and harmony. That's Rick Warren, formerly of Saddleback Community Church, and Dr. Albert Moeller, president of Southern Baptist Theological Seminary, debating Tuesday at the annual meeting of the Southern Baptist Convention. The convention had since gone on to prohibit the ordination of women, and then, by an overwhelming margin, to confirm the ouster of Warren's church over the ordination of women. Greetings and welcome to Crossroads with Terry Mattingly. I'm Todd Wilkin. Thanks for tuning us in. Terry is Senior Fellow at the Overby Center for Southern Journalism and Politics at the University of Mississippi. He's founder and editor of Get Religion, author of the weekly On Religion column for the Universal Syndicate, and the book Pop Goes Religion. Terry, welcome back. Glad to be here. So the SBC voted against the ordination of women in several forms today. That's news. What's the bigger issue behind the headlines? Well, it's something that we discussed last week, and I know it's rare for us to come back to the same subject twice, but in this case we have a major you know, national level news event kind of affirming some of what we talked about last time. I think you alluded to the fact that there were multiple actions today on the subject of the ordination of women, and that's true. And what we're trying to figure out now, and what I think Southern Baptists will be attempting to figure out in the next year or two, is the connection between the two. First of all, the Southern Baptists strongly affirmed the 2000 update of the Baptist faith and message, which is a confessional statement. But in throughout history, Southern Baptists have kind of agreed to disagree on what the power of that confessional statement was. And in particular, about whether or not you could use the structures of the National Church Convention. And once again, I remind our listeners, the Southern Baptist Convention is not a denomination per se that exists all year long. It's a convention of independent churches. It meets and does business once a year at its national convention and it then elects an executive committee which can carry on with certain types of business authorized by the convention, as opposed to, say, a Methodist or a Lutheran structure that has an actual formal chain of authority and this denomination exists all year long. This is something that's hard to grasp about Baptist life, and we'll come back to it here in a minute. But what's really interesting today and this is a trend we've seen in recent years, 
in addition to affirming what the Baptist faith and message statement says and affirming that the executive committee was right for removing Saddleback and another church, and some others simply decided to go ahead and leave and didn't fight the decision. Instead of just kind of affirming the executive committee, this is what they did, they also passed a resolution written by a Baptist pastor, Mike Law of Virginia. They amended the SBC Constitution. Now, that's different than having a confessional statement. They amended the SBC Constitution to further restrict women's roles. The New York Times edits this down to saying, by stating that a church can be Southern Baptist only if, quote, it does not affirm, appoint, or employ a woman as a pastor of any kind, unquote. Now, anyone who listened to us our discussion last week will know once again the word pastor there is controversial. What does that mean? Is a pastor the same thing as an ordained person? We can come back to that later. But here's the bigger point. I would argue that the Southern Baptist Convention at this meeting formally, or at least clearly, crossed a line from one form of Baptist life into another. And both of these forms have existed for a long time. There are hundreds of different ways of being a Baptist, if not thousands, when you get into tiny conventions, massive numbers of independent churches that in some ways prefigured the non-denominational churches of our day. Trying to define the word Baptist is just impossible. But... There definitely are Baptists who believe no creed but Christ, nothing but the Bible. That's enough. We do not have a creed. We do not have a confession of faith that is binding on people. Now, that's one way to be a Baptist. And I would say the Southern Baptist Church that I grew up in, that was pretty much the dominant way of looking at Baptist life. This is how you end up with the late Pat Robertson and Bill Clinton, both big Southern Baptists. They both are defining the term different ways. They both have different beliefs. And nobody's going to try to force their local church to enforce any particular belief. However, and there's an excellent article right now out by a Baptist historian named Thomas Kidd, and it's on the Gospel Coalition website. If people want to look it up, the headline is Confessions of Faith and the Baptist Tradition. Kidd notes that for centuries, there are many, many examples of Baptist bodies that had doctrinal confessional statements. Now, here's the interesting question, and I'll throw this at you and then kind of duck because I can imagine any Baptist listening to this would just cringe at the thought. What's really interesting to me is not whether this confessional statement is a kind of creed. Baptists have had confessional statements before. The effort to amend the SBC Constitution, for reasons I, we can discuss and I'll be glad to enumerate, 
are they beginning to create a form of canon law, an actual legal set of specifics that Baptist churches must obey certain doctrines and certain practices in order to be Baptist. So confessional statement, a lot of precedent for that throughout history, but why do you need to add it to the Constitution to make sure that it's extra, extra clear that certain things will not be tolerated? So I think the Southern Baptist Convention has crossed a line here, and what's fascinating to me is whether or not they now, I don't know what you would call the Baptist version of canon law. I know canon law exists, obviously, in the Eastern Orthodox tradition of my own church, and Roman Catholic canon law exists. I don't know what Lutherans would call it. The United Methodists, or we could now call them the disunited Methodists, have had a discipline, a book of discipline. And that book of discipline, I would argue, constitutes both doctrine and legal statutes for how you're supposed to behave. So where do the Southern Baptists go now? And will the creation of this legal structure for Baptist life, a legal structure to defend doctrine and behavior, will that continue? Will it expand? What else will it be applied to? Here we go. You mentioned the New York Times. What did you make of the coverage there in the paper of record? Well, it's not bad. They put two religion writers on it, so there's no major infusion of politics into this. You did have some kind of funny attempts to come up with wordings, the labels we talked about last week, moves by an ultra-conservative wing on multiple fronts to reverse what it sees as a liberal drift. So there's there's some undefined labels. And then it became clear that this was kind of the normal conservative establishment. What was fascinating to me is two things about the New York Times report, and then I think we really should pay more attention to an excellent report from Religion News Service written by two veterans when it comes to covering Southern Baptist life. Adele Banks and Bob Smetana, besides this wrestling match with labels, I'm still trying to figure out if the New York Times has a reporter actually on the scene of the convention in Nolens. I assume they do. They might even have two. But when it comes time to deal with what I think was the most important thing that happened at the convention, which is this attempt to and now the successful attempt to amend the Constitution, to clarify something at the level of the Constitution of the Convention. They quote Mike Law, and let me read this and see if you can pick up the subtlety here. Mike Law, a Virginia pastor, proposed amending the SBC Constitution to further restrict women's roles. Now, that has passed now. By stating that a church can be a Southern Baptist only if it, quote, does not affirm appoint or employ a woman as a pastor of any kind, unquote, a website that has been promoting his proposal in the months leading up to the meeting in Louisiana warned that, quote, this issue has become a canary in the coal mine for many denominations. Mr. Law compiled a list of more than 700 people who are pastors in Southern Baptist churches, including women serving in roles like children's pastor and women's pastor. His list and others 
and another published last week have circulated widely. Now, did anything, if they're on the scene in Nolens covering this event, was there anything in that passage that struck you as interesting or strange? I'm not sure. What was it for you? Why not quote the man? Don't you assume he's there? He's at the convention. If you're at the convention, why not actually interview one of the leading conservatives of the convention when it comes to this issue? I assume he's there. Now, if if they asked for an interview and he refused to be interviewed by the New York Times, by all means, mention that. Mike Law declined to be interviewed for this article to clarify his views or whatever. Why quote one side of the argument with voluminous quotes from people who are speaking there or attending, and why not quote the other side by actually interviewing them? I found that to be kind of a journalistic clue as to who the New York Times is getting their material from, who they're sourcing their article with, and obviously they should be talking to people surrounding Rick Warren. They should be talking to the SBC women in ministry. They should be talking to people on that side of the issue. The question is, on the other side of the issue, why settle for things that were either broadcast, things they might have been able to get off the web watching the convention by streaming. If you're there, and the most important thing that happens is this resolution, more than a resolution, a motion to amend the Constitution, why not talk to the man who wrote it? Why just quote his website? I mean, is he, like, contagious or something? So, Terry, you wanted to return to this RNS piece by Adele Banks and Bob Smetana. What else did you find in there that was commendable? Oh, it's a very strong report, in my view. You can tell these are people who have been <laughs> covering Southern Baptist Convention for a long time. In fact, Bob Smetana actually worked at one point for an agency linked directly or indirectly to the convention itself. I thought they did a very good job of spotting some of the key remarks that showed kind of where this could go next and things. I'll give you one or two examples. I mean, obviously they quote the Moeller and Warren thing. Here's an interesting distinction. Another thing that happened here, and this could have been a big story, but it ended up being kind of just a dud from the viewpoint of the press. The SBC president, Bart Barber, who's considered a part of kind of the conservative establishment as opposed to whatever this renegade right-wing, oh, I just used right-wing, I shouldn't have done that. This renegade ultra-conservative, maybe that's the wrong label, the more conservative wing of the church. Barber had a really insightful quote in the midst of the debates about this, and I wanna read this to our listeners. This is again, to credit them, Adele Banks and Bob Smetana's piece. Newly elected, re-elected, SBC President Bart Bar Barber appeared before the outcome of the votes were announced to urge an appropriate response. Quote, I believe in the sanctity of marriage, but I know sometimes in our churches people wind up in biblical divorce, he said. But we don't throw divorce parties at our church, okay? <laughs> so, after Baptist responded with applause, he added, and whatever the results are, I'm asking you, behave like Christians, okay? Well, the image of divorce is interesting in the sense that obviously Baptists don't have, at this point, 
any sort of developed doctrine on what divorce has to do with Christian fellowship or whatever. I mean, there isn't a Baptist doctrine of divorce that would parallel the Roman Catholic teachings on divorce, just to name an example, because I'm trying to remember who it was, but at some point during this event, somebody, it might have been Moeller, who simply stated that, you know, I mean, there are other churches who have teachings on who gets ordained and who doesn't get ordained, etc., and now the Southern Baptist Convention has teachings on it. Well, yeah, I mean, the Roman Catholic Church has centuries to millennia of teaching on what it means to be a priest. What's fascinating now is whether we're going to see debates within the Southern Baptist Convention, not just about whether women can be ordained, but what are the actual doctrines associated with ordination, standards, what does it mean to be a pastor? And ordination has been applied to a lot of things in Baptist life in recent decades that it's simply you don't you don't see it in other denominations. So you ordained hospital chaplains. What's the status of a woman who was ordained as a hospital chaplain at an, an institution but is not a pastor, is not even on a church staff? What about a counselor? What about a licensed clinical counselor who is also a pastoral counselor and may not be on the staff of a church but has been ordained by a church? Well, she may not be a pastor. Is she enough of a pastor for that church to be thrown out for ordaining her? I still think there are issues there to be settled, but I'm really intrigued now to see if there's going to be much more open debate about, okay, what are Baptist teachings about the meaning of ordination? Have they developed now something that kind of begins to hint at a kind of a sacramental concept of being a pastor? And if so, I mean, obviously, Southern Baptists don't have a sacrament of the Eucharist. They don't consider baptism to be a sacrament. They consider it to be a sign, a symbolic action, representing what God has done in someone's life. If they're going to have a theological confession related to some of these things, it's going to be interesting to see if the theology gets fleshed out. That's the two things that struck me in the R&S piece. But then one other thing. Rick Warren is quoted, apparently, from an interview with R&S there, in which he says, you know, they can't hurt me. And then he noted that Saddleback will still be a part of its local Baptist Association and the California Baptist State Convention. When I read that sentence, that reminded of something that was said to me decades ago by a famous Baptist on the left side of the convention, maybe the way left side of the convention, a famous activist named James Dunn. And about the time the Southern Baptist Civil War started, I asked him, at some point, do you think Southern Baptist churches will get thrown out of the SBC for this, that, or the other? He was the head of the Christian Life Commission in Texas, an agency, an old agency that from which, frankly, my family has connections. And Dunn said, well, you know, that's the thing about Baptists. We're kind of like a bumblebee. When you look at a bumblebee in terms of physics, nobody can figure out how it flies. But obviously, a bumblebee can fly. And he said, Baptists are like bumblebees. And we don't know how we fly, but we do. And he was saying that because he said, it's really hard to get thrown out of Southern Baptist life. Because 
Will you stay in your local Baptist association? Will you stay? Will you be kicked out of your state Baptist convention, as well as being kicked out of your national Baptist convention? So what we could end up here a little bit is kind of doctrine by zip code. I mean, in some of the states that have a larger percentage of quote unquote moderate Baptists, the kind who have been ordaining women now for decades, states like North Carolina, Virginia, Georgia, to some degree, Texas, will churches like Saddleback just simply say, okay, we're cutting our ties to the Southern Baptist National Convention, but we're going to stay in the Southern Baptist Convention of California, the alternative Baptist Convention of Texas. There are two state Baptist conventions splitting over issues like this. Will the bumblebee keep flying to some degree, even as the national convention kind of makes its position clear? I noticed that the New York Times piece covered at least some snippets of things that Rick Warren had either said before the convention or that he actually said at the mic from the convention, even noting that the crowd, what he said, uh, isn't uh, 99.9999% yeah. agreement enough, and the crowd shouted back, no. Did they <laughs> did they cover anything of the what was obviously a response from Dr. Albert Moeller from the mic? Well... No, apparently not. I'd have to go back. I haven't memorized that article, so I would hate to be quoted and, and prove out to be wrong. But no, they're much more interested in the Warren side of the debate. And by the way, we're also, I think we should say to listeners, this is being recorded right at the end of the convention, and clearly we'll have major stories in a lot of media throughout the rest of the week. So I'm not saying that these news organizations are through covering these issues. But I'm saying that as the convention bell rings and things kind of close down, I'm recommending that people seek out the RNS piece for its coverage of today. Uh, what other issues, with a couple minutes here, what do you, other issues do you think uh, are being given constitutional status? This is really interesting if you look at it, because when I name the four issues, what you're going to say is the culture is pushing at the Southern Baptist Convention and the Southern Baptist Convention is pushing back. Right now, there may be other ways that I'm forgetting, but there are four ways that you can clearly get kicked out of the National Southern Baptist Convention. And we saw two of them in action again, and we've seen another in, one or two in recent conventions. You can be kicked out for blatant racism. And there's no question that the Southern Baptist Convention intends to discipline churches that do things that make the national convention say you have violated resolutions and recent statements of the Southern Baptist Convention on defending the dignity of other races. And so racism has definitely become constitutional in status and churches have been removed. Now in this convention, once again, we saw that cooperating with the Southern Baptist Convention and it's still evolving attempts to fight sexual abuse, it's very clear that that now has constitutional status. If you don't cooperate with us on sexual abuse, we will kick you out. Third, ordination of women. We've talked about that now. That's now been added to the list. And in recent years, we've also seen that efforts to affirm the LGBTQ plus cause in whatever way, gay deacons, statements by your local congregation affirming gay rights, 
anything that affirms sexuality outside the traditional Christian understanding of marriage, you can get kicked out for that. Now, I may have missed one, but those are four issues that now have constitutional status in this emerging kind of Baptist church law, more than just confession, law. And the other thing that we'll have to watch for is they're still clearly trying to decide what it means to say that a church closely identifies with the Baptist faith and message. I mean, what are the trigger mechanisms that wave flags that you're in trouble with the Baptist faith and message confessional statement? Besides the four I've just listed, it'll be interesting to see if the debates about what closely identifies means, at what point do they really have to start fleshing that out? And that drives Baptists crazy because of this long history of no creed but Christ, nothing but the Bible. But as Thomas Kidd says in his article for the Gospel Coalition, everybody knows that people have tried to agree on just the Bible for years, and they can't pull it off. At some point, you have to set some legal limits and policy limits on who's in and who's out. So that's where we go from here. With only a minute here, the U.S. Conference of Catholic Bishops began meeting in Orlando, Florida today. What should we be looking for in the news coverage? I would say, once again, sexual abuse keeps going on and on. I think it'll be interesting. I, I expect reporters who go in the hallways to start talking about, you know, we've had another threat to the health of the Pope. Who do you think will be the next pope, et cetera, et cetera? And then you have one more inevitable. What about the latest stuff by Joe Biden? What about that wild scene for Pride Day on the lawn of the White House? What about, what about, what about kind of the status of Joe Biden as a Catholic? And, oh, by the way, can we agree that Ron DeSantis is a Catholic or not? There are people are even arguing about that now. Terry Mattingly is Senior Fellow at the Overby Center for Southern Journalism and Politics at the University of Mississippi. He is founder and editor of Get Religion, author of the weekly On Religion column for the Universal Syndicate, and the book Pop Goes Religion. Terry, thanks. Glad to be here. I'm Todd Wilkin. I'll talk with you next week. Thanks for listening to Crossroads with Terry Mattingly. Crossroads is a production of Get Religion, part of the First Amendment projects at the Overby Center at the University of Mississippi. If you appreciate this podcast, please make a secure online tax-deductible donation at GetReligion.org.